You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. Hey, welcome. Great to, great to have you with us tonight at Eltham, Eltham Baptist. Thank you for coming. It was, actually, I was going to say thank you for coming out um, in the cold. It was a lovely day today, wasn't it? Supposed to be a top of 16. Our car said 18. Maybe it was overheating. I don't know. But it was um, nice, to be, nice to be out and about. I recall having a sense from the Lord to, to join the Victoria Police Force when I was, was quite young as a little bit of a training ground for other things um, that probably didn't come out in my official interview. But, but I sensed that God was saying, hey, here's a place, Stuart, where you can learn about leadership. Here's a place where you can be discipled. Here's a place where where I want to grow you and, and so forth. So I had that sense. Nonetheless, when I went for the physical, two things were making me very, very nervous. And one of them was when I was a very, very young kid, I had this little bit of a heart murmur. Didn't know what it was, but you know those moments where doctors kind of look concerned and, oh, they're thinking, oh, what, are you, what do you hear? What's in there? What's there? Give me a listen. And, um, and apparently that went away, but I was conscious of that. So when I went for my medical with the police force, despite the fact that I had this sense that God wanted me in there, when I went for the physical, I was a little bit worried about that old heart murmur, which was a bit funny because if I had this sense of calling to a particular office, then it shouldn't have been a problem. Nonetheless, when I was um, waiting in the, in the uh, waiting room there, that was on my mind. But there was something else on my mind too, and that was that... I had a, had a problem with short-sightedness. Um, it wasn't overly bad. It was the, the biggest difficulty was going to the footy and not being able to see the scoreboard on the other side of the ground. But I figured, hey, you know, if you're going to be a copper, you probably want to have 20-20 vision. So these two things were bothering me a little bit as I was waiting um, for the physical. Um, you know, spiritually speaking, how your heart is going and what your sight is like... Uh, are two very, very important matters as well. Whoever you are tonight, I can tell you this, that you are called to a very, very high office. Seriously. Much more important than Victoria Police or whatever it might be. You can, you can think of the, the thing you would most like to do or the thing that you think is most important to do in, in this life and in this world. It could be president of the U.S. No, oh, no, anyone can do that. It could, be, it could be some high office somewhere and you kind of think, wow, what a privilege it would be to serve in, to serve in that office. But it'd be nothing, absolutely nothing on the office that God has called you to. But to be fit for that office, there's a medical and every now and again, it's a good thing to do a little bit of a spiritual checkup to, to kind of just go through a few basics and kind of feel like, you know, wow, if, if I was to just run through those little spiritual tests, how would I go? Would, would, would my Lord, my Savior, would he be happy? Would he kind of feel like, yeah, you're on track, you're on track. I've called you to this high office and look at you. You, you go, girl, you go, boy. You know, you're, you're doing great. You're right on track. Would that be his assessment? And every now and again, it's, it's good to just ask that question. And in particular, to check a couple of really, really fundamental matters. How is your heart? 
Is your heart positioned well towards the Lord Jesus Christ? How's that going? How's your sight? Are your eyes fixed firmly, firmly upon him? With regards to the, to the heart and, and that, that passion for God, you see, this is kind of key. As some were wondering about the teachings of, of Jesus and, and what is this, this newcomer saying? You know, they, they posed a question to him on one occasion. Of course, that was, all right, what? In all the law and the prophets, what is the most important commandment? What's, what is it? What is it? And of course, uh, Jesus answered, well, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your, your strength. To love him with a passion. That's the most important thing. And actually, God got commended for his answer on that occasion. You see, relationship, our relationship with God is, is fundamental to, to everything. And hey, it goes, it goes way, way back to the Genesis story where Adam and Eve would enjoy a, a walk with, with God in the, the cool of the evening. It's the way it was supposed to be. That kind of intimacy was standard. And of course, that got lost, but, but still we see glimpses of what should be. We, we hear of a man by the name of Enoch, and Enoch walked with God. His walk was so close with God that one day he just kept on walking. Where's Enoch? I don't know. He went walking with God. It was an intimate walk, and it was a glimpse again of what, what should be. We have, we have the example of Abraham, who spoke with God as a man, talks with another man face to face. That kind of intimacy. That's what we should expect. We have the example of David, who was called God's friend. Imagine that. Isn't that an honor? What a privilege. Would you like that one? And there it is on your, on your gravestone. Enjoyed coffee, but more importantly, God's friend. Yeah, coffee with God. Relationship with God is, is absolutely key. It's why matters of the heart are important important matters. And I wonder how your heart is today. Would you rate it as a 50 or a 500? Well, I think, well it depends what the scale is. What, are, what exactly are we measuring? Well, well let, me, let me show you. Turn with me in your Bibles to, to Luke chapter 7. Let's see. Let's see how your heart rates. Let's see what the measurement is. A 50 or a 500? Turn to Luke chapter 7. We're going to read the story. It's one you're probably familiar with. It's an interesting one. It's got an interesting little twist here. We're going to read from verse 36 through to 50. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. And hopefully this matter of the heart will make sense in just a moment. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now this was... In the culture of the day, this was actually quite common. A teacher comes into, into town and, and, you know, if you're you know, fairly well-to-do or, you know, you hold a certain position or status within that town, then, then it's a very, very good thing to invite that teacher back to your house. You would throw a little bit of a dinner. The other important people would recline with you at the table. And, oh, well, if you were kind of a poor person, you might get an invite in, but you would sort of stand at the back. Of course, you wouldn't just sit down with the really, really important people, but you might stand at the back and be able to observe. So Simon decides that it would be a good idea to have Jesus come and, and dine at his house. Now, there was a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. That can be sometimes code for a bit of a promiscuous woman or maybe even a, even a prostitute. 
Um, but we know that she was a, she'd lived a sinful life and she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of, of perfume. Imagine the cheek here. I, I like already just the audacious nature of her. She didn't get an invite. She wasn't on the list. She wasn't reclining at the table with the rest of the guests. And in actual fact, had people recognized exactly who she was, she might not have even got in. But somehow she slips by the door, she gets invited, and she's suddenly in the house with her jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, Jesus, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now again, just a quick quick note here. Why was her hair uncovered? Normally it wouldn't be. If you were a married woman, your hair would be covered up. Hers wasn't. It was pretty obvious, actually, that she was, that she was um, um, a sinful woman. And when the Pharisee who invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, like everybody else knows it, if this, if this man were a prophet, he would know who it is that's touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she's a sinner. So Jesus looks across the table and he answers Simon. He says, Simon, I've got something to tell you. And tell me, teacher, says Simon. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owned, owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But for whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Lord, what a beautiful story and thank you for preserving it for us. Inspiring Luke to write down in such detail all that happened thousands of years ago for us to to read and learn from tonight. Here is a matter of the heart, and we want to learn from it. Would you please guide us now by your Holy Spirit? Come and instruct us that we might fulfill that special calling that you have on our life in your precious name. Amen. Well, when our heart is not quite right, when we've got a little bit of heart disease, we might be a little bit... Like Simon here in verses 44, he had basically neglected to fulfill his responsibilities as a good host. 
He didn't provide water for Jesus' feet. He didn't give him a welcome kiss as he should have done. He didn't, he didn't anoint his head with, with oil. He didn't do any of the normal things. There was this, this neglect there. And that can be a cause of heart disease. For us, it might be a little bit different. It might be, wow, all manner of things. It might be sins that we, even to this day, have not confessed. It might be apologies to people that we have put off. It might be mistakes that we've left covered up. It might be people we haven't forgiven. It might be worries we won't release. It might be conversations that we just won't have, but we probably should. It might be boundaries that we won't surrender. It could be habits that we indulge. It could be pride that we won't admit to. It could be disciplines that we continually avoid. Fears that we have hidden deep within or affirmations, encouragements for other people that we just won't give. There are so many reasons why our heart can be a little bit diseased and why we have neglected the things of Jesus. But at the end of the day, what it leads to is the same thing, loss of relationship with God. In verse 47, Jesus says it very, very bluntly, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Simon, you do not understand the debt of gratitude that you should have here. Therefore, your love is very little. And sometimes in our Christian walk, we can find ourselves in those places where we forget the debt that we owe God. We forget the, the cost of the cross. We forget what it is that Jesus has done for us. And it can be easy to do so. But when that happens, we can find ourselves in... Something akin to a spiritual desert. And there we are. We don't even know the road that is going to lead us out of there. Sometimes the wonder of the, the cross has actually become a wandering from the cross. The joy of our salvation has simply become a mere contentment with being a Christian. And, and how privileged is God to have me among his number? Because it's kind of building up his stats there. And he needs good stats. He hasn't got enough likes on heavenly Facebook. So we feel we're doing bigger favors for God than he is for us. How easy it is for some of these sort of attitudes to, to creep in. And very soon we find that, well, the measure of our heart and our love and our passion for God is, is not a 500 as it should be. It's just a mere 50. And we can wonder what's happened. What went wrong? Why did we lose our, our first love? Well, verse 41 Jesus says it clearly. He actually, actually says that neither of them could pay back the debts. But the greater the debt, the greater the sense of love will be from the one who realizes that the debt has been paid. How big is the debt? Verse 42, neither of them could pay it back. It was insurmountable. It was insurmountable. The truth is, both of them were in trouble, whether it was 50 denarii or 500 denarii. This was insurmountable. They needed somebody to step in. And, and in verse 50, what is it that saves the woman? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Faith in what? Faith in who? Jesus, to remove the debt. She, had a, she clearly had a debt of 500, not 50. She was the one who, who owed more. She was a sinful woman, obviously, at least in Simon's eyes. And yet, though her heart might not have been great, her sight was good. 
You see, whether you're in 50 meters of water or whether you're in 500 meters of water, you need a savior. And her sight was good. She recognized that Jesus was that person. And the recognition of the debt is something, but the recognition of the one who can remove it is everything. And she saw Jesus, the one who could help the poor state of her soul. She might not have understood everything about Jesus. She might have had a lot of questions, but in him, she saw love. In him, she saw grace. In him, there was an authority, and, and he was the one that she needed to draw close to in order to remedy the sad state of her, her soul. She had good sight. She recognized who Jesus was. She knew that in Jesus, he was, as one of the shorter parables of the New Testament share, the Gospels, Jesus, he, he is the pearl of great price. He was the treasure in a field. Jesus was the good news of the kingdom. He was the messenger from the king who had come to declare peace and a settlement of terms. That's who Jesus was. He was the bridge for the rift between God and man. He was the one who could restore relationship. Yes, he could forgive sin and he could reconcile us to God. This is who Jesus was. And she recognized him as that. I... um. In Greece on this occasion, we were in this little village. It didn't, the day hadn't started very well, actually. And because of an earlier incident, um, when I was driving around as one of the drivers in the car, I'd drop a couple of people off here and a couple of people off here. And, and I found Bron and Diane, one of the other ladies from the team, um, walking along a street. And I picked them up and they just, uh, just had a bad feeling about this particular road. And and anyway, the little motto on the bag of the Bibles that we would, we would hang on each door was every home, um, every home in Greece to receive a Bible, God's Word. And uh, I said, did you, did you grab that house? And they said, oh, no, the people down the end there look a little scary. And I looked down the road, and I think, yeah, I can see why. They're just all staring at us. And yet I thought about the motto, every home, and I thought, I don't know, a little bit of a nudge from God, I'm going to do this. So I said, well, you, you just rest in the car, a little bit of air con, it was pretty hot uh, walking around the streets. You just rest in the car, I'll, I'll grab this one. And so I grabbed the Bible, put the handbrake on and, and walked down the street. And sure enough, this young person comes down a, a set of flights of stairs and he just stares at me like, you know, I'm an alien and kind of, you know, get him out of. I just greeted him and headed on and anyway, nothing from him. I got down to the end of the street, and, and there was this, um, this gentleman. He didn't, didn't, didn't look too antagonistic, so I, I uh, exhausted my Greek on him in, oh, I don't know, 10, 11 seconds. And uh, I greeted him, said good morning, explained that I had a gift of him. It was a, it was a Greek Bible and, um, and so forth, and I wanted him to have it. And Anyway, I got to the end of it, and I really had no more to say, at least in Greek, and so he saved the day and spoke to me in English, actually, and he said, ah, well, thank you. He took the Bible, and he opened it, and he said, I, I used to study ancient, ancient Greek, and his English was so-so, um, but uh, I said, oh, wow, and he turned to John 1.1, and he read it, and he said, oh, this is a good translation. I said, yes, it is. It's the best, the best we've got. And, uh, and he said, um, you know, very, very thoughtfully, just looking off into the distance, a hill 
away was an Orthodox church. And he talked about the problems in Greece. He talked about the, the fact that they are not very educated people, the fact that the country is in difficulties and so forth. He seemed to acknowledge that, you know, there were even problems in the church as well. Uh, but then he said, but, you know, talking about the center place of the church in that village, he said, but it binds us together. And then he shared a little bit of his testimony in his broken English. And I realized with a glint in his eye and this kindred spirit, I realized here, Anastasia was a genuine brother in the Lord. This is the way he expressed it. He said, God loved me. And I said, yes, he does. And he said, God um, in me. And I said, yes, in me too. And he said, it, it's like, and then long pause as he's searching, going through his English vocab. God in me is like... And uh, repeated this about three times. I'm so tempted to just fill in the word for him. But, but just, I'm glad, so glad I waited. And then finally he had it. Ah, like sugar. <laughs> and I said, yes, he is. He's sweet. He said, sweet, like sugar. I said, yes, just like sugar. God in me, like sugar. I thought, what a lovely way to put it. It was an actual... Profound truth put in very, very simple words. You know, Karl Barth, the uh, brilliant mind theologian, loved to skirt sometimes the, the boundaries of orthodoxy, but on one occasion he was asked, later on in his, his latter years, he was, he was asked, Professor Barth, what is the most profound truth you have ever come across? And um, here in this interview, I guess he could have said many things. He thought for a moment, but then he said, ah, that's easy. And he said, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. I guess he said it in German, and I imagine that it still rhymed. It fitted with the English. But he hit the heart of it. He hit the heart of it. Relationship with God. That's what this woman had discovered. She recognized in, in Jesus that he could make her right with God once more. And she wasn't disappointed. He declared, your sins are forgiven. But he said, it is your faith in me as the one who can restore your soul. It is your faith that has saved you. If you like the, the difference between Simon, the Pharisee, and the sinful woman, was she recognized who Jesus was. I guess they both knew that they had some level of debt before God. But she was the one who realized not just that her heart condition wasn't terribly good, in fact, it was terribly bad. But she saw in Jesus one who could help her, who could restore to her health, to her soul, a healthy heart. 
You know, nothing restores our heart's passion like a fresh recognition of who Jesus is. It is so easy, I guess, to become complacent, to sing the songs, and, and, and yes, we love the words, and, and I know, hey, I'm, uh, unlike, I guess, all of us, sometimes it can take a little while of singing those verses through and the choruses through again before suddenly the truth of it gels, and we realize these are just not any words, this is truth, actually. And we are declaring praises to the living God and a God that we have relationship with because of Jesus Christ. And when it, when it all boils down, when it really comes down to it, what do we have apart from Jesus? There is nothing that, that we have that has lasting value, eternal value, outside of a relationship in Je- with Jesus Christ. Christ in you, that is the most wonderful truth you will ever discover. It's good for now, it's good for eternity. It's got a, a lifetime warranty that is simply out of this world. It's the most amazing thing, the fact that Christ has forgiven your sin restored relationship between you and the Father and dwells within you. This is the most amazing thing that you will ever encounter. It should touch the heart. It should get our heart beating just a little bit faster. It should change our outlook on life. It should cause us to have a a passion, a deep passion for God. It, it should cause us to feel humbled. It should cause us to want to surrender everything that we have to Him. It should cause moments of, of absolute rapture and delight and joy. It should cause us from time to time when we encounter the truth of this again to fall to our knees. It should bring tears It should cause us to just want to sing a new song to God because He is our everything. Simply should. That would be a sign of a healthy heart. Now, I know we don't live necessarily every day with that kind of awareness, but but such encounters... Fresh recognition of who Jesus is to us is important. There are a number of flaws that I will remember for most of my life. The, the floor in the lounge room of my in-law's house, because it was there on one night before we were married. I don't know why, maybe, maybe our shifts, our nursing and policing shifts weren't, weren't connecting, but I was there house-sitting that particular night. Nothing that interested me on television, and so prayer and time in the Word just led once more to a fresh recognition of who Jesus was. And I, I just welled up with emotion on recognizing Him once more, fell firstly to my knees, and then finally on my face on the floor. The good thing about that one is a nice shag pole carpet back in the day, but there... 
I just remember having the most wonderful time with God. My first youth pastorate in Queensland, working ridiculous hours and and perhaps losing sight of what was really important. Again, one day, had the house to myself, time in the word, time in prayer, a fresh glimpse or recognition of who Jesus was. Down to my knees, under my face, a flood of tears, choked up, just, ah. I know who you are, God. I know what you've done for me. Filled with love for Jesus afresh. Wondering how I could possibly have gotten so spiritually dry. Often in churches. Remember at a very, very special night for Bron and I at Diamond Valley Baptist Church where we grew up many, many years ago. Down on the front, surrendered to God. Of course, the carpet here at Eltham Baptist has become very precious to many of them. One of the reasons we never have to steam clean it, actually, is because a number of us have enjoyed time on our face, time on the floor, just time before God, recognizing who He is. I admire this woman. Often thought, what was it that, despite her reputation out there in the town, had caused her to be so courageous, so audacious, as to find a way into the house. She knew that people knew. She knew that she wouldn't be the company that people wanted to display. She knew she hadn't been invited. She knew she had been overlooked. Somehow she finds her way to that little, little crowd of secondary guests who were allowed in to the rich man's place. Last moment. Did she push her way? Did she sort of nudge? Did she? How did she get so close to Jesus? How did she become the one that was standing right behind him as he reclined on the, on the cushions on his left hand, his feet just tucked behind him? She just stands there and perhaps now she realizes I should have had a plan. <laughs> but in his presence... In awe of who God is, caught up in the moment, recognizing she was in the presence of the Holy One. She can't stop it. She suffered enough indignity. She's gone this far and the tears just flow. So much so that they are wetting Jesus' feet. But then... She sees an opportunity or she feels compelled. And Jesus, though God, was also man. His feet were dusty. His feet were dirty. Remember, they hadn't been washed. Simon hadn't offered him the water, which was customary. They were sweaty feet. Yes, God's feet sweated. You heard it here. Her tears have wet his feet, and so she, she kneels down, and with that uncovered hair that should have been covered if she was a good woman, she starts to wipe the dirt and the sweat and the muck off his feet. And then she's got that little jar, and she, she knew that she was somehow going to bless 
this teacher, this, this holy person. She knew somehow she would do it. And now's her moment, having cleansed his feet. She pours perfume on them. And anoints him. And blesses the feet of God. And that story has gone down in history as a beautiful story of someone who recognized the face of God. And had the rare opportunity to minister to him. Hmm. I wonder whether, as you measure your heart and your sight, your spiritual heart, your spiritual sight, I wonder whether you need some time with him, time in his presence, time again to just soak in who he really is. And what a privilege, what an outstanding privilege to be called of him. To, to recognize again the immense debt of gratitude and to take your love from a mere 50 back up to a 500 where it ought to be. To have a moment on your face, fully surrendered afresh to the one who loves you and has given his all for you, has restored relationship with your heavenly Father, and has promised you an eternity with Him. Wow. The one who lives within you and gives you meaning and purpose, who fills you with His Holy Spirit, with all of the benefits and the character of God. His glory is your glory. That is an outstanding truth. Everything that you admire about God, the most peaceful, joyous, loving, patient, wonderful being there is. Everything that is His glory, resident in His Spirit, who is resident in you, is now your glory as well. Wow! What an amazing truth. We need those moments where we recognize it again and again and again. And it is a part of a, a standard, basic spiritual health check. And over the next few weeks, we're going, to, we're going to have a look at just some of these basic little tests to see how you're doing spiritually. But this one's about the heart. This one's about your passion for God. This one is trying to get that, that beat from 50 up to 500 so that you are enamored once more with the God who came to earth and humbled himself as a man. Dying in your place, but not just even an ordinary death, but the humiliating death of the death on a cross. That's our God. 
That's our Jesus. That's your Jesus. The one who has called you to his high office. And the one that calls you into relationship with him afresh. Many people, of course, have enjoyed a walk with God and sometimes that can be a close walk and sometimes we can feel far away. John 21, that's certainly how Peter, Peter felt. He just was still trying to come to grips with the betrayal of his Savior and his Lord. How does he live with that? He, Peter, a zealot, <laughs> zealous for God, sure. He just denied his Savior three times. How do you live with that? What do you do with that? Oh, how do you get restored to God when you failed him that badly? Well, there's that beautiful invitation where Jesus looks him in the eye. Hey, Pete, come on, let's take a walk together. You and I on the beach, two of us. Come on, mate. It's the paraphrase. The Greek, it's pedia, boys. Hey, boys, how's the fishing? It was intimate, intimate language. And so Peter, strolling with Jesus down the beach, experiences the most wonderful restoration. He had a huge debt. But as the grace of Jesus floods his soul once more, and as they walk along that beach, he was a zealot like he'd never been before. It took him from a 50 to a 500, maybe even a 5,000. And then in the book of Acts, we see a totally transformed man. Well, that's what the love of God does. I wonder if you'd like to close your eyes and just invite God now to call you by name again and Insert your name here and hear him speak to you. Hey, I love you. I really, really love you. I want you to know that. I want us to hang out a whole lot more. I want you to draw closer to me. I want it to be real. The reason I want to be glorified is so that you can see me for who I really am, that you would recognize me. As you do, you will learn to love me. More and more, with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. I'll help you fulfill that great commandment. Come, come, draw close. See me afresh. Know that I love you. Come. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.